Welcome to the Spark Pulse Podcast, hosted by Dr. Mawafa Hausa, where you can find the latest news on digital health, artificial intelligence, the future of healthcare, and more. Let's get right into today's scoop. I'm going to move to our next uh, speaker with a great picture and a great smile. Uh, I like that picture, Jens. Uh, uh, it's a good colleague, also very close to uh, his office is close to mine, Dr. Jens Schneider. He's an assistant professor at the College of Science and Engineering at Habib bin Khalifa University. He, um, uh, he is an expert in visualization and AI, uh, and specifically for tools for digital histology, which he'll explain. Uh, also, uh, he was at King Abdullah University for Science and Technology. And he was working there uh, uh, as a researcher. And we're very happy to have him here at Habib Khalifa University. And he's going to share, you know, his thoughts, ideas on the importance of visualization AI. And Dr. Jens, I'm just going to ask you a general question. Give us an intro about your field in general, and then we can talk about the healthcare and the visualization AI. Why is it important? Who cares about it? I have no idea. I never heard about it until you came actually to college and actually, you know, you know, talk about it. And why is this an area of importance um, and why should people consider researching this area? Thank you. All right. Uh, thanks for the introduction. So um, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story because um, just by accident, I stumbled across uh, videos on visualization on YouTube. And if you just look for visualization, you find a lot of um of this uh, positive thinking visualization so there's apparently a disconnect between what we call scientific visualization and what the masses sees as visualization and um we use two different terms we use internal visualization where we try to imagine things and then use this as a as a method to structure our thought and we use external visualization, which is essentially a picture that is generated by a computer from data that allows you as a, uh, a scientist or layperson uh, to make sense of the data. So visualization is uh, therefore important uh, for people who have data and they don't yet fully understand what's in the data to form a hypothesis. And when they have the hypothesis, it's important to, um, to uh, you know, refute or support this hypothesis. And again, visualization as an explorative tool can help. And once you know what's in the data, then you want to communicate your findings. And this is also done much better with a visualization uh, with a picture. And so this field is entirely concerned with um, the aspects of uh, first uh, uh, computing and the aspects of uh, psychology and having the human in the loop uh, in order to make sense out of somebody's data. And uh, recently we see more and more that AI uh, can help with that. And there is a, um, a interaction between the two. Normally, if you know everything about your data, then you can use AI to uh, data mine the features that you're after, the aspects of the data that are relevant to you. But then again, even after you filter out what you're interested in, um, this 
uh, amount of data that you find might be too large to consume. So, and again, uh, you will go into visualization. And so we see that at the moment, AI is uh, going into visualization. And at the same time, the field of visualization is also uh, feeding back into certain aspects of AI. Um, I think this is uh, maybe a short, uh, short explanation why AI and what AI is good, for, uh, sorry, visualization is good for. Thank you, uh, Professor Jens. You know, I, and I know, you know, uh, you are applying visualization uh, in, you know, healthcare. And one, you know, I remember we met with a few doctors uh, uh, maybe a year ago, and we presented to them lifestyle data, sleep data, different forms of data sources that weren't unique or weren't captured in the current workflow or electronic health record that doctors are using. And they they found the information interesting, but not so not as important as what's being captured based on the you know uh, clinical decision support guidelines or clinical guidelines that they have. So how are, my question to you, how, give us some examples that you work where doctors are actually using visualization to make key clinical decision-making and which areas that you're working in that would be great for us to understand more of that, more of that in general and specific to the work that you're doing. Yeah, so um, we have done in the past with my collaborators, uh, I've done a lot of work on uh, different aspects uh, that can be used in healthcare, but since we are most, mostly on the algorithmic side, so we um, come up with a technology that then gets hopefully adopted by uh, clinicians. And this is different for this uh, entire digital histology project here. Um, essentially, what we see is that um, if you take uh, tissue samples and you image them with a microscope, uh, that you have a unique sample on a glass carrier. Um, and if you want to share that, then by far the easiest way to do that is in a digital workflow. So you take a scanner and you scan this image and um, then you can transmit this information and you can replicate this information as much as you like. And uh, this year uh, we have this project together with, uh, with Sidra and they already have a completely digital uh, histology workflow. And traditionally, these um, um, digital workflows, they have mimicked uh, what histologists normally work on. So uh, there's a traditional workflow where you have a, a microscope and you have a glass slider, and then you navigate this glass slider just by tapping and you look at it and try to make sense and spot anomalies. And if you say uh, collaborative, then you have a, a second view of a passive uh, expert that gets the same view and you can discuss what you see. And so the first uh, system that we designed mimicked this pipeline. So you have one who takes charge, um, the data resides in a database uh, somewhere on the cloud, and then multiple experts can use uh, devices such as uh, handheld devices or desktops uh, to look at this data, to annotate and to talk about the data, despite being in different places of the work. Now, 
The problem that these experts have is for research, this is all good because in research, uh, normally the experts have a little more time, but in a clinical setting, uh, the number of cases you have to do every day uh, to prevent backlog means that you cannot um, uh, do 100% of what you would like to do necessarily. So there is uh, a lot of repetitive tasks in there that require a lot of training and a lot of expert knowledge. And this is extracting uh, cell nuclei, for instance, or um, describing the tissue, segmentation and classification, as we call it in, in AI. And this is where I believe AI can really help in the process because um, you get a whole, whole uh, slide scan of a, uh, a tissue section and normally we are talking about uh, billions of pixels in this single image and then you ask okay where are my cells where are uh, cancerous cells or where are um, uh, inflammatory cells and uh, now experts look at it by first looking at the region and uh, try to figure out if something looks odd and then they zoom in. And what they would like to do often is to have a count, to have a ratio of uh, normal cells versus non-normal cells to assess the severity and understand what's going on. And um, to be honest, normally experts don't have the time to come with the actual count because uh, in tissue samples we have tens of thousands of these cells and uh, just figuring out what the percentage of uh, inflammatory cells to non-inflammatory cells is is out of the scope of the time that uh, doctors can dedicate to this process so and ai at the same time has made significant advances and paired with advances in imaging modalities has led to the fact that we now have these uh, huge data sets publicly available um, and you can take these data sets and train your AI on these data sets. So there's one data set called PANUC. This consists of about 140,000 segmented and labeled uh, cell nuclei, the, the core of the cell. And um, with this, then you can build a network that learns how to segment uh, these uh, cell nuclei in different tissues. Uh, and here, the uh, groundbreaking work is uh, the UNET for segmentation and later on uh, extensions called the GUNET. And you can give an image that you have never ever uh, seen before to this uh, segmentation tool. And it will generally do a good job of uh, picking out the, the cells. And then you can classify the cells, then you can label them and say, this is inflammatory or not inflammatory. And when you have that, then we are back to the visual analysis because these um, uh, cell classifications, um, they need visual inspection in order to make sense of them. And this is something that uh, I don't think AI is capable of doing at the moment because there's a human in the loop and you need this interaction and you need uh, to support the expert uh, by uh, exploring this data more than just telling him what the solution is. 
because this is still a, a very open uh, and uh, research-oriented field. Thank you, Professor Jens. I just have, okay, it's interesting what you're saying. And, you know, there's, I'm sure there's, when it comes to visualization, there are challenges and opportunities. I want to ask you one question. What if there's only one benefit or the biggest benefit AI has to offer this field of visualization and specifically in healthcare, what would it be? What would it be? And simply, what, what is it? In your thoughts and your opinion. Okay, so um, let's break that down, one for AI and one for visualization. <clears throat> I, think visualiza uh, I think visualization's greatest benefit is um, that you can make sense of what is in the data. And in this capacity, visualization is already used at hospitals. So normally um, you look at a CAT scan or you look at an MRI or at a um, ultrasound and this is already imaged on a screen. So, and you already have tools from visualization going into this workflow. For AI, I think, the uh, most important benefit is to get rid of repetitive tasks that are prone to error, um, that cause fatigue on the clinicians uh, to keep them alert on the cases where it really matters. So, okay, that's an interesting benefit. And I'm just curious, what are some of the challenges that AI and healthcare in general, and AI specifically in healthcare, what do you see the challenges in, uh, in general? So I think the main the main challenge is um, the question of uh, liability. Uh, if you talk about clinical use, then the European uh, Union has uh, finalized some recommendations on how to see AI in a clinical uh, environment. And um, essentially, the gist of this recommendation is that AI is a tool. So AI is not yet ready to uh, uh, to supplant humans and it is a diagnostic aid it's not a, a diagnostic machinery where at the end you have the final finding and um, doctors should accept that without questioning and this is very important to understand because that means on the one hand that um, this is a tool like a cat scanner or a, a scalpel and at the other hand it it gives you from the uh, human interaction uh, perspective it gives you very good answers so i think in the clinical environment humans have to actively resist accepting the recommendation of the ai without questioning because at the moment an ai is a black box and we have only very very preliminary understanding how it actually works so at the moment, we have to be very cautious. And I'm not saying that this will be the same for all eternity, but at the moment, we have to be very cautious uh, if we can trust the decision of the AI. But still, since it eliminates these uh, tedious and repetitive tasks very efficiently, and also looking at the pandemic, it allows us to uh, add additional distance between uh, hospital personnel and patients in many cases, uh, it's it's very valuable. So it has a huge potential offset by this particular challenge that I see. So when you talk about these challenges, you know, a lot of our 
you know, students are concerned or people out there are concerned about these challenges and this black box concept that everyone's talking about AI, everyone's, you know, building these AI systems and some of our values, like, you know, some uh, values that are going into these systems and the outcome that's a result are sometimes hurting patients or leaving patients not to be seen. For example, um, if you value cost versus quality of care in your algorithm as an outcome or as a primary uh, focus, then your, your algorithm would work differently and it might marginalize different groups. Uh, you know, one group, uh, for whatever reason, the ethnic or, or male, female, whatever it is, might be more costly, so they might get not get the the care that they need. Versus, if you look at, you know, we only care about quality of care. We want to give the patients, irrespective of their comorbidities or chronic diseases, we want to treat them irrespective of cost. How do you balance those two values together? And when you're developing these algorithms, how do you evaluate? And how do you make sure that people are doing these algorithms that are ethical, that are still providing access to individuals, and are not leaving people behind? Yeah. So this is actually uh, touching on a uh, very technical issue in uh, in AI is uh, which type of data do you need? And there's always bias in the data and there's always outliers in the data. And you have to be very, very careful uh, if you, uh, for instance, train uh, something, uh, a model for the US that this uh, may or may not be applicable to other countries um, and you have to question this before you uh, bundle it as a project a product and ship it. Um, so the the importance here is actually again that ultimately the uh, the clinical uh, professional is uh, is res is responsible for the final, action that he or she recommends. So, and for this, we need to work more on um, understanding how AI works, because uh, if I sell you a CAT scanner, then it comes with a manual and with specifications. And um, if you have a degree in physics and enough time, then you can sit down and understand top to bottom how this machine works. For AI, we lack this knowledge yet. And so therefore it's very hard to assess uh, what effect these data biases have. And therefore I would really recommend that uh, if you get an output of AI to validate it, validate it, validate it, run clinical studies, make sure that it works in your case. You know, Professor, a lot of uh, students, you know, working within the field of AI and work developing applications of learning. It's funny that the the data and the algorithm is the least of our worries. It's working for how users going to accept this, what their thoughts, how are they going to apply it, how are you going to evaluate it, how are you going to pilot it, how are you going to collect data, how are you going to maintain the data, how are you going to ensure confidentiality, security. Yep. The last thing, honestly, like, you know, okay, the algorithm is working or not working. It's almost, yes, it's important, but it's almost a small piece of the pie. What do you see? What's your comment on that? And do you disagree? Um, not really. So um, I think if you, if you truly look into uh, the fact that AI currently is mostly a black box, 
then as a patient, there is a true reason to be worried. So the question of acceptance is, is a very valid one. And we have to, um, we as educators have to explain uh, to people more what it is that we have at our fingertips and why this is in their own interest. Because honestly, AI can cut down the cost of uh, running a hospital significantly by uh, making better use of the actual manpower. And so this is um, a challenge for us as educators to uh, you know, reach out to the general public and tell them, look, these are the benefits here, we have to caution. And um, this is, I, I see also as part of, uh, of our mission, to be honest. Quick question, Dr. Jens, you know, what do you see the future and what do you recommend of AI? And what do you, uh, sorry, and what do you see the students? Uh, um, what do you see the students, if they're gonna focus on AI and health, uh, what do you suggest uh, for them? What, what do you recommend? What's the future and what do you recommend for our students in terms of research and work? Okay, so for uh, AI in the past, we have had a significant number of different subfields. So we had uh, computer vision, we had uh, robotics, we had learning this, learning that. Uh, and with that came different languages. And I think the uh, most beneficial side effect that deep learning has become so um, so efficient and so uh, so successful is that now we have a common language. And my recommendation for students and um, uh, practitioners alike would be first try to understand on a very broad level what AI is and try to pick up the language because um, with this language, you will be communicating to experts. Experts might contact you and ask you, okay, what is your problem? And they look at your scenario. And then over time, um, you will find that you, uh, together with visualization or AI experts, will come up with more and more specific uh, items on your wish list. And it's important that uh, you have an idea what the expert is talking about. That's one aspect. The other aspect is how should a student start? And that depends uh, on the background or on the goal. If you are in a field, in a technical field, and you want to have a quick overview, and you happen to speak Python, um, there's an excellent book that you can try called Deep Learning with Python. I have my copy here. This is written by the uh, guy who wrote Keras, one of the big APIs to do deep learning. And it's full of code. It's very hands-on. And just by going through the examples in the book and reading the text is very accessible. Um, doesn't have uh, a lot of the math in it. So uh, this would be my perfect entry point if you have absolutely no clue about AI, absolutely no clue about deep learning. This is what I would recommend you start with. Thank you very much. It's uh, been wonderful to listen, to hear your thoughts, especially about this you know, area on visualization where you've received two grants recently. Congratulations for that. Uh, as well, uh, Dr. Jens on the work and the important work that you're doing. Thanks for tuning in today with our host, Dr. Mawafa Hausa. Remember, you heard it here first at the Spark Pulse podcast. Over and out.